Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. We have the famous Tony Hughes here with us today. So thanks for joining us, Tony. Thanks, Luigi. It's uh, really good to be on the podcast. Oh, awesome. So, Tony, just before we get into an awesome session, can you maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into sales and, yeah, just a bit more about who you are? Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, I'm sort of a a crusty older guy. (laughs) I've uh, been in professional selling, I guess, for 35 years, which is a long time. But when I was in my 20s, uh, I sold a company I built here in Australia, uh, took it off to the States, and uh, basically in America, I, uh, I lost money and learned a lot. The big thing I learned in America is that if you can't personally sell and market, you're really nowhere in business. Up until then, I'd really just thought it was about having a great product and marketing, but I came to realize it was about selling. So came back to Sydney, and uh, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do in business again, um, but I thought, you know what, I need to learn how to go sell. So Uh, I got a job in uh, professional sales and uh, discovered that you can make uh, really good money and have a huge level of freedom. And I really enjoyed it because what selling uh, is meant to be about, um, I think it's a really a, a, a timeless value that we should all embrace is that selling is really about making a positive difference in the life of our customer, both personally and professionally for them. And I think if you sell with integrity, and you are making a difference. It's a long-term career that you really enjoy and you find quite satisfying. Awesome, Tony. With regards to your time in the US, tell us the difference between doing business in Australia versus the US. Well, I haven't been asked that before. I've got a pretty controversial view on this. Um, <laughs> I think I think uh, we in Australia uh, have a look at the US culture and we go, it's very much like us. The reality is American business has more in common with with Japanese business than it does Australia. Americans and the Japanese are pretty focused on uh, the perception that they create, their their personal brand. They have uh, very good manners. They're careful not to be negative. Um, They always want to project a whole lot of positivity. Um, And we tend to think that Americans love the way that uh, we're very direct um, but the truth is Americans often see Australians as uh, not really having good manners. We can tend to come across as a little bit negative. So, um, you know, Australians tend to tend to call out the problem uh, and then get it fixed and we go and deliver results. So Australians have very good reputations uh, through Asia, the UK, Europe and North America for being uh, practical, can-do people who roll up their sleeves and go and deliver results. But But at a cultural level, uh, whenever we're dealing with Americans as Australians, um, we need to be conscious of uh, of having good manners and staying positive and not causing people to lose face. You yep. don't want to go embarrassing anybody in meetings. Oh, fantastic. And again, thanks for sharing that. One of the things that you just mentioned that about brand and um, the difference between America and Australia is I actually find uh, when I talk to salespeople and at the start of a sales session, I sort of ask them, tell me a bit about a thought or word that comes to mind when you think of a salesperson, and often it's quite a negative uh, word that gets put up there. Um, do you have a, a sort of a thought about why people have such a negative uh, thought about salespeople? Oh, it's really funny you say that. Uh, you're asking me questions no one ever asks, by the way. This is great. So, <laughs> awesome. 
if you want to know why that's the case, the best way to get the question answered is open a dictionary yeah. uh, or, or a thesaurus, and you'll see that selling is associated with hoax, cheat, and steal. Um, there's a lot more negative words than there are positive words. Um, the positive definitions of selling are around providing an exchange of value. Um, but I think we all intuitively know that, you know, when we first get into sales, um, you know, you go to a, a barbecue or a social gathering on the weekend and people say, hey, what do you do for a living? And we kind of choke on the words of saying I'm in sales. You know, we tend yeah. to want to say, oh, I'm an account executive or an account manager. Um, but but the reality is there's millions of people in sales all over the world. Um, no one else in the company has a job unless the salespeople are successful in most industries. Some some companies will go to market uh, either fully digitally or through yeah. channels, but especially in the world of business-to-business -business selling, um, the salespeople are the ones that, uh, that enable everybody else in the organization to thrive. So um, it can be a noble profession, yeah. um, but it's not typically regarded that way. And I think salespeople are their own worst enemies. You know, they get as pay, they get paid as much money as doctors, dentists, lawyers, airline pilots, and yet so often when you watch salespeople execute, um, they they don't set an agenda for a meeting, they don't turn up on time, they don't take notes, they don't keep a good system of record in their own CRM. You know, uh, and yet they get offended if you if you imply that they're not a professional. Yeah, I've heard that so many times, Tony. So again, thanks for sharing that. I'm a big fan of the term salesperson. People ask, "What do you do?" I'm a sales guy. Um, I've embraced it. I've uh, been a sales guy my whole life. And but how can others who, like you said, at that party they they get the lump in their throat? How can they change the perception of what a salesperson is and the image that they're putting to market? Well, rather than say say I'm a salesperson, they, they need to talk about the, the difference they make in their customers' lives. So yeah. in, in, in the same way that if someone says, oh, w what do you do? And it's in a professional context, you know, tend to say, oh, I work for XYZ company and we do this and we do that and this is how it works. Instead of that, we need to talk about the results that we deliver. So um, just maybe to pick a company out of the blue, if I worked at Salesforce, I think most people listening to this will know who Salesforce is, <laughs> the CRM company. But if someone said to me, oh, what does is, what is Salesforce do? The, the, like the wrong answer is, oh, we're the global leading software as a service cloud and do CRM and marketing automation software. Like the, that's, that's the wrong answer. The right answer is, oh, I work for a company called Salesforce and we help companies grow their revenue, reduce customer churn, and actually make their businesses more efficient and help them get closer to their customers. So rather than saying, you know, I'm a salesperson of CRM, I help people grow revenue, reduce customer churn, and make their businesses more profitable. Yeah. Um, so we need to talk about the outcome that we deliver for people. Oh, I'm loving this, Tony. You've mentioned something, and I've heard this, I've read this in your blogs, and, and, and I'm going to get to this in a moment, but that narrative that you've just mentioned, how important is that narrative when engaging with people? Well, the narrative is everything. So, you know, the the foundation of all sales success is the transference of belief. Yeah. So so every time a salesperson interacts, or not a salesperson, anytime anyone who needs to be commercial in business uh, interacts with someone who's a potential client or partner, um, there's going to be a transfer of belief. Either the potential client's going to transfer their belief that this is not a priority and they don't need it, or the seller's going to transfer belief that this should be a priority and it can make a real difference. 
So we need to believe in the difference that we make in the life of our customer and their business. And then we need to have the right narrative, which is not focused on us and what we do. It's focused on them and why a conversation with us would potentially be important for them. So, for example, if we were talking to to a CFO, um, you know, we need to understand what the key issues are for the CFO. The CFO is concerned about about the order to to cash process. They're concerned about collections. They're concerned yeah. about providing an accurate board pack. Um, you know, having an accurate cash flow forecast that they're able to 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 guide the business with. They're concerned about managing risk inside the business. So, a narrative needs to be about them in their role within their company and in the context of the industry that they operate in um, and the outcomes we believe that we can help them with. So when we think about narrative, what we need to leave with why we think the conversation should matter. Yeah. And th- then we need to talk about outcomes and managing risk. And then under that, we need to talk about dollars, percentages, and those key result areas in a business that really matter. Okay, awesome. So if I'm hearing this correctly, we've really got to contextualize the message to the person that we're dealing with so that they can see the value for them. Is that correct? That's exactly true. And the other thing we need to do is we need to acknowledge this huge paradox in sales today in that we cannot be successful as salespeople unless we build a relationship of trust with the person who's going to be our potential client. It's impossible for us to be successful, successful unless we do that. But the paradox is that nobody out there who's not yet a client of ours, not one of them is lonely and bored and looking for a new friend in business. Not one of them lies awake at night hoping a salesperson is going to call them the following day to tell them about the joys and wonders of their solutions, right? Yeah. So so, so the paradox is we actually need to lead with value in the conversation to earn the right to build a relationship. It's a big mistake to call people up and adopt, and adopt a friending strategy. We've got to provide value. Okay, so we've really got to earn that right to have that conversation with the people that we want to talk to. Yeah. Oh, this is awesome. And there's some simple actions that can help us build stronger relationships with our customers. So, Tony, please share with us your LinkedIn rating and what are some of the things that helped you become so successful on that social platform? I got ranked uh, twice uh, just in December that's just gone uh, as the number one blogger in, b- blogger in the world on business-to-business selling. That was by our top sales magazine out of the UK wow. and and also the Business Blogger Awards. Uh, and then in January just gone, I was ranked by number – sorry, I was ranked by LinkedIn as the number three thought leader in the world on B2B selling. Um and I've also been ranked by Top Sales World as the most influential person on B2B selling in Asia Pacific. So, um, which is pretty strange, I guess, for for a guy in Sydney. It's a relatively small population <laughs> compared to North America, but it's really it's really on the back of doing a lot of content publishing. Yeah, and and, and uh, I love your content, Tony. And we're going to get to your book in a moment, but. Why did you decide to start blogging? I mean, you've you you put out so much awesome content. You've got hundreds and thousands of followers. Why did you do that? What what motivated you to, to get up and just start blogging? Well, I was actually mentoring an incredibly talented sales guy uh, in New York, and uh, he read my first book, which is called The Joshua Principle. Leadership Secrets of Selling. It's on how to manage the complex sale. Yep. Um, he'd read my book. I was coaching him, and he said to me, um, "Look, you know, your IP is the best 
you know, that I've come across, but nobody knows who you are. Um, and I said, well, it's not that nobody knows who I am, but he said, well, you know, like you, you don't have a profile. Why aren't you active in social? And I just sort of rolled my eyes and groaned and thought, oh, man, who who really has time for all of that narcissistic blasting and spamming in social <laughs> media? I've got I've got real clients. I've got no time. But long story short, he convinced me I was wrong um, and that I really needed to give away my IP and start to build a brand in social. So like most things I do in life, I thought if I'm going to do it, I need to I need to do it properly, go hard or go home, right? So um, I, you know, for seven months, I was publishing a long form original blog every day at one stage. So I've published uh, around 500 articles as we record this all long form. Um, now, I don't want salespeople listening to this thinking that that's what they need to do. Um, very few people can write well. Um, I'm not a great writer. Um, I'm a good writer because I put a lot of effort in. Um, being a gifted writer is really rare. So salespeople yeah. need to not while away the, the hours of the day in social media um, and not narcissistically gaze into their LinkedIn profile, and nor should they, you know, try and do a whole ton of writing. Yeah. But increasingly today, I've, I'm forming the view that if you can't write, you can't sell because yep. we, we live in a digital world and three quarters of buyers will research us online before they choose to engage. So yep. if you can't create a good profile and, and show some insights online that really start to, to kill off potential objections and start to set the agenda for the way you want to engage with people, if you can't do that well, you're in trouble. Yeah. And there's so many you know important things there. And this wasn't one of my questions, but I'm going to bring it up because it's every day it's in my feed, cold calling versus social selling. Cold calling's dead. Social selling, we've got to be social selling. Can you please share your view around this topic? Wow, well, it's a it's a big can of worms that one. So yeah. let me give you the let me give you the very <laughs> short I'll give you the very short version. So, um, the the rise of the silent sales floor is killing businesses. Um, yeah. That that was actually the topic of a big keynote I did at Salesforce World Tour last year. Um, the reality is, is that people are neglecting the phone and it's destroying their success. Anyone who says people don't answer the phone anymore is lying. People do answer the phone. You need to call their direct mobile phone number or their cell phone number. Yeah. And, and can we pause there, Tony? Yeah. I called you because I needed some coaching. So for the listeners out there, um, I called Tony because I've been adopting the combo prospecting philosophy. Love the book and... I'm going to put show notes on where you can get the book. But I did just that mobile number and I called and, and, and I called the um, CEO of one of Australia's largest banks and he answered. And I think we spoke about that earlier in the week, Tony. Yes. Um, but the dilemma that I had was my narrative was wrong, which impacted my ability to have a really meaningful conversation with him. Yeah, well, I might just just back up a little bit on the conversation we've had because you said, you know, what does it take to be successful today? Yeah, and and I said, you you know, you you have to be a true believer in the positive difference that you can make for people because you have to have to have belief. Um, the next thing is you need to nail your narrative. Yep. <laughs> you've got to have the right narrative. So you, so you experienced, you know, having a high level of of belief and then courage, and used a um uh, social. 
uh, sales intelligence tool to get a mobile phone number for someone important and you got them and and they do they do answer their phones even yeah. a CEO of a top tier bank one of the biggest banks in the world the CEO answered the phone so you can absolutely get through but then you've got to nail the narrative and the narrative yep. needs to be about them not us and what matters to them as I was talking about before yeah. and and obviously the combo prospecting book is about you know being persistent through channels and to circle back to your question about social media and the phone, you know, is it cold calling or is it social selling? The answer is it's all of it. It's everything. So intelligent people, the most successful people, never make a cold call, but they do lots of phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> so that they phone people intelligently. They phone people after it's been warmed up. They phone people after they've found a common connection that can give them a little bit of coaching so that when they ring the person, they say, uh, hey, Luigi, it's Tony. Uh, you know, we haven't met, but Bill Phillips suggested that I give you a call. Um, you know, I understand you guys just made an acquisition and you're expanding into, into the New Zealand market. Uh, I would love to talk about how I could potentially help you de-risk, you know, the mm. onboarding of that business that you've just acquired. When can we find 20 minutes next week? Now, now the fact that, you know, I've done some pre-search, right? So pre the call, I've done some research. I found a common connection that gave me some coaching. I asked that person's permission if I could mention them in the call. So what happens is you go, wow, I, I trust this other person. If they've mm. suggested that I get together with Tony, then I probably will. Um, and then I just need to, again, sh show the context and the potential business value in getting together. Okay, fantastic. So, and I really want to want to want to build on this. So, the social selling aspect—it's not a mechanism that we put all of our energy into. It's a mechanism to help us prospect. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, it's well. So, so, so social is important for a bunch of reasons. Um, most of the audience here, I assume, is going to be in business to business selling. Is that the case? Yeah, business to business sales inside SDRs. Um, okay. The whole kit and caboodle. Okay, so in, in the world of B2B selling, the most powerful platform for us from a from a uh, sales prospect intelligence piece is LinkedIn, uh, and everybody listening to this should have Sales Navigator. Um, there's 540 million members of LinkedIn as we record this. Two people join a second. There's 9 million Australians that are in the platform. And the reality is for both personal vanity reasons and for their own assurance of their uh, professional career and ability to make an income to provide for their families, uh, people embrace the LinkedIn platform. It's where they can represent their personal brand and, and actually find their next job. So it's the global yellow pages, and that's why Microsoft paid $26.2 billion uh, for, for them as a company. So it's, yeah. it's a very powerful database. So, um, you know, like beyond just a Google search, having a look inside LinkedIn is, you know, is, is where we can find details. So it's a social platform. So it's important because it's a database for us. It's also a place where we can have our own personal branding microsite. Yep. We need to get away from using LinkedIn as an online CV and instead set our profile up as a, a personal web page because three quarters of potential buyers will come and check us out online before choosing whether to return that phone call or engage with us. Yeah. So what we don't want them seeing is low-level salesperson. What we do want them seeing is someone that's got industry expertise um, and a point of view that would be relevant to them. And then the third reason LinkedIn is relevant is it's it's an engagement uh, channel. It's one of the channels we can engage through in-mail. Yeah. Um, you know, so and you can even upload videos now into um, um, 
uh, LinkedIn as well. So, so where social is powerful is not in narcissistically blasting and spamming our own messages. Where it's powerful is what salespeople should always do, which is be great listeners. Yeah, and we and we can listen in social for trigger events. Um, and what a trigger event is, it's something that happens that triggers a reason for us in the mind of the buyer, a reason for us to be contacting them. So, f- for example, what we know is that a new person into a role is usually hired to affect change in their organization. Yep. So if, if for example, you were selling CRM software, when a new head of sales gets appointed into a company, that is a trigger event. So you yep. should talk to that sales manager, hey, congratulations on getting the Giga Sales Director for ABC Company. Um, you know, what What we commonly, what I commonly find is that uh, new sales managers into the role are looking for some early wins for the CEO. Um, and they're usually wanting to affect change inside the organization, get salespeople more accountable, um, get better at driving pipeline, uh, get deals closed faster. Would love to get together with you. And uh, I've got some ideas on what we commonly see people do to go and get those early wins. You know, when yep. can we get 40 minutes together next week? So it, it's a trigger event and you can monitor for trigger events, for example, uh, in Twitter with Google Alerts and inside LinkedIn, especially with Sales Navigator. Yep. So. So that's why social is so powerful. It's a place where we can listen and then engage along with a phone call, an email, a text message. We should use all of the channels available because we don't know what channel a person prefers. We're just going to try all of the channels until we find which one of those that it is because there's some people that that uh, ignore voicemails, but they respond to text messages. And yep. unless you know someone that will coach you about that, just use all the channels until you find engagement. Yeah, this is awesome. And this is absolute gold. And I, this sort of takes me through to my next question. Um, we talk about the different channels, but what was the motivation behind combo prospecting? Um, everywhere I went in the world, and I work with clients in London, New York, the West Coast of the States, up in Singapore, Australia, everywhere I go in the world, I hear the same thing from people. And they say to me, hey, Tony, I know how to sell. The only problem I've really got is I just don't have enough pipeline. Now, my response is to smile and take (laughs) sort of half a step backwards, so I'm out of reach. But but I say to them, well, look, if you really really knew how to sell, you would have enough pipeline. The very notion of separating ability to sell and ability to create pipeline is crazy. Now, I know with the industrialization of sales since about 2000, Aaron Ross and Mary Lou Tyler co-wrote a brilliant book in about 2011, yep. um, uh, which was around how Salesforce created the model of of um, of inside sales versus field sales. The yep. book is called is called Predictable Revenue. Yep. Um, and uh, you know what that was about was that the the philosophy is sound. You know the whole idea was why would we have our very expensive field salespeople doing lower value you know, cold calling and sending emails out. You know, we want to we want to use those senior experienced people to to progress and close the deal. Let's get lower cost, less experienced people sending out emails and jumping on the phones and populating the CRM system. Now, that 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 notion is valid, but the problem is a more junior kind of person. I'm not criticizing them. It's just if, you know, when, when you're younger, you just don't have the experience and gravitas. But yep. a more junior person is going to struggle to pull off the conversation with a CXO inside an organization. So, um, you know, it's just it, it's it's really it's really important that 
sellers today recognize that the best it gets anywhere on the planet that I've seen is 40 to 60% of a field salesperson's number can come from the leads that get given to them by marketing or inside sales functions. You know, inside yep. sales is typically called an, an ISR, inside sales rep, an SDR, sales yep. development rep, or a BDR, business development rep. But, you know, 40 to 60% of the field seller's number, the, the BDM AE role, uh, comes from them having to go find pipeline, okay. right? Building their own prospecting, getting referrals, you know, standing at booths at trade shows, you know, <laughs> is, is kind of dying. But yeah. but they've got it. They've got to find a way to get the number. And what that means is is every seller should be spending at least an hour a day, maybe two, doing pipeline creation activities as well as progressing and closing opportunities. Yeah, and this is awesome. And I know that Jeb Blunt always says, you know, one hour a day of prospecting of actually dials every day in order to keep your pipeline pipeline full and not starve. So just on that, we, we, we you said about 40% needs to be self-generated by salespeople because it's not going to be found anywhere else. And I think I've read in other um, articles, it's around, what is it? They say it's an average of about 67% of, um, or, or salespeople are achieving about 67% of target. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen the stat going around from insidesales.com. Yeah, um, there's there's a whole lot of research. The the sort of figure the figures I use is depending on the company and industry, in B two B selling, in most organisations, somewhere between forty percent and seventy percent of their salespeople are missing their number. Okay, so they're missing their number, and salespeople today are being told social selling, less calling. Um, however, if they're not picking up the phone and calling people or making themselves opportunities, how are they going to find more prospects to put in their pipeline? Anybody who comes in, for those listening to this, anybody who walks into your organization and says, you know, you need to abandon the phone and just embrace social selling, you, you need to throw them out. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a lie. It's not yeah. true. Now, Social. I, I'm a big fan of social selling. I promote it in my book. I've written lots yep. of blogs. I've got a framework for social selling. I've got six pillars of social selling. Yeah. We've talked about a couple of them in this call. It's important to have a personal brand. It's important to publish insights. It's important to do social listening for, for, for trigger events. There's a whole lot of, of dimensions to this. Yep. But at the end of the day, we, we need – I'll, I'll use a boxing metaphor. I know it's a little violent, and the goal is not <laughs> to assault assault our prospects, but we do need to knock out their apathy, right? Yeah. But, the, but in, in, if you use a boxing metaphor, we need to jab away at people in digital and social channels, but the knockout punch – comes on the phone, right? So but by all means, send a LinkedIn connection request. By all means, send an email. By all means, send a Twitter direct message. Yep. Um, by, all, by all means, run email campaigns, right? All of those things are awesome. But phone them as well, and the moment they reply in a digital channel, get back on the phone. Everything should lead to getting back on the phone with people because selling is a human-to-human -human, uh, experience, um, you know, the things that humans do really well is we're good at building emotional connection with people, genuine yep. empathy. We're good at being creative. We're good at helping people navigate politics and dealing with complexity. And every seller should look for those environments because they won't get replaced by machines. 
um, uh, technology, automation, AI, artificial intelligence is all real. Yep. There'll be many sales jobs are going to be lost, but the ones that will be lost are the ones where it's about transacting commodities, where there's complexity, where there's risk, where there's creativity needed. You know, we need to build a business case. We need to gather consensus in our organization to manage the change, yep. manage the politics. Um, there'll always be a need for a human seller in those environments. But every seller needs to think about how how do I become man or woman and machine together, right? Yep. Person and machine blended together to become hyper-efficient. So sellers need to develop a, a high level, not just of IQ and EQ, but also technical quotient. They need yep. to become technically savvy in how they work. That's great. And I use various tech platforms to help me gather key pieces of information about my prospect. And then I put in my CRM, I've integrated my CRM with my Outlook email, and I'm managing the outreaches so I know exactly how many outreaching attempt it takes to get in front of a, my, my prospect. But talk to us a little bit about the average contact attempts because there's um, a number of different figures being thrown around and, and you've made mention of this. And I think it's super important because a lot of people stop attempting to call their prospect after two or three times. Yeah. Um, what's your view on this? Yeah. Uh, there's There's been lots of research. Um, uh, if you if you if you bring all that research together, here's here's the summary. Um, what what we know for sure is it's almost never one attempt to get yep. someone. Yeah. Um, uh, it's always more than seven, and it can be up to sort of thirteen. Right. So it's depending on whose numbers you want to look at. It's between seven and thirteen attempts. Well. Wow. Bef before you'll get engagement from people. Um, but but in the same way that that numbers never lie. And numbers never tell the full story. <laughs> yeah. In 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 the same way with with this particular area, it can actually be pretty deceptive because it's not just the number of touches; it's the way in which you execute them. Yep. So what we know is this: if you use one channel on its own, it it does not work. If, so if you just send email, it's easy for that to get ignored. Um, you know, if you uh, just leave voicemail messages, it's easy for them to get ignored. But what we found was it's the combinations of activity in short, sharp succession that actually grabs someone's attention. So what yeah. you want to do is you want to phone in, in the mornings. Now, if we're up in Singapore, I wouldn't be saying that this was the time window because, <laughs> for example, in Singapore, they just start later in the day. But yeah. in places like the USA, um, the UK, Australia, if you're a seller, you want to be in at work by quarter to eight every morning and you want to begin your day uh, on the phone. So yep. so forget checking your email and LinkedIn and heading off to get coffee and breakfast. Just down a Red Bull and get on the phone for an hour <laughs> from quarter to eight to quarter to nine. Then you can go to the bathroom and as you're washing your hands, you can look yourself in the mirror knowing that you've just done in one hour what 95% yep. of salespeople around the world fail to do in a whole week. Yep. Um, and you get on the phone and uh, senior people, it's the best time to yeah. get them is in the shoulders of the day, right? So first thing in the morning, if they if they don't answer, what will happen is this person will maybe will be on the train heading into work. Yep. They'll see their phone ring. They won't know who it is and they won't want to take a phone call on a crowded train. So they'll dump the call. Next thing, their phone will beep. Oh, the person left a voicemail message. They'll yeah. be having a listen to the voicemail message. <clears throat> Ding. Oh, there's an email that's come in. They'll be reading the email, ding, there's a text message from, from the same person. And what they think 
is this person's determined. They're obviously very determined yeah. to get hold of me. <laughs> yeah. And so, so long as your value narrative is about them and what matters to them in terms of results, yep. right, or key result areas, what will happen is even if they ignore you that first time, when you go run another combo next week yep. and then another combo the week after, that they will think, man, this person's determined. I may as well call them back. And and you know the story of Jeb Blunt, right? Yep. We left that same message for the CEO 42 days in a row. <laughs> and the guy called back and said, you know, you're not stopping, are you? Interestingly, I, I shared that story myself in LinkedIn and it got 1 million views. Wow. Because um, it, it really it really hit a raw nerve. But, yep. you know, Jeb, Jeb, Jeb is bang on, right? And that, that's my experience too. You need to be um, politely but and positively persistent and you do that on the back of the fact that you genuinely believe you can make a difference and you think i've i've earned a conversation here because they're going to get value out of that conversation my narrative is the right one it's not about me and our products right it's about them and their results fantastic for so for any salesperson that is not meeting quota or they might be meeting quota but they're looking to achieve more what you've just said is gold it's about knowing who your prospect is, having the right narrative, and then constantly trying to engage with them to a point of they're either going to do one of two things is accept the opportunity to talk to you or they're going to tell you to bugger off, right? Yeah. They're the, they're the mainly two outcomes. And Now, with yeah. regards to influencers, Tony, tell us what has or who has been the biggest influence on your career? Um, look, I've, I've had people who've, who've believed in me as sales managers. Um, you know, there's, there's really a couple of things and you just touched on it before in your comments, but, but, but we need to chase. No, I, I want to know if someone, if someone can give me a valid, no, no, I'm not interested because, yep. right. So for example, if, if I was selling CRM and they said, Hey, look, Tony, I, I'm not interested we just implemented your competitor's product four months ago, <laughs> yeah. right? That is, that is a valid no, right? Yep. Hey, th thank you. I, I really appreciate that, right? And now you'll still find a way to stay engaged over time because things change, right? But they are not a product. They're not going to pull out your competitor's product. But the thing is, it's awesome that I know that because I think the enemy of sellers is false hope. Yeah. When we when we have these lists of prospects or, you know, weak pipeline, and we think, oh yeah, I've got I've got three times coverage of my number in pipeline, but but the truth is three quarters of it doesn't belong there. I'd rather know it doesn't belong, and then yeah. I I know what the real dimensions are in the gap for me to be successful. So so I want a legitimate no from from a prospect. It's not a thing to fear. It's a thing that we should be chasing. The the other thing is, um, if I could go back and talk to myself, you know, my own career when I first started <laughs> out. That, you know, there'd be a couple of pieces of advices or uh, pieces of advice I'd give myself. One, one is, don't take yourself so seriously. It's not about you. It's actually all about the customer. Yeah. It's all about the customer. And if you're not the best thing for them, then just move on. Uh, yeah. Because if if you're doing an hour of prospecting a day at least, you'll you'll have this wonderful problem of big, fat, healthy pipeline. Yep. Where you don't have time to sort of get to everybody. So what what that'll force is it'll it'll force you to focus on the ones where there's alignment, where the there's a natural fit in value terms, and yep. there's strong cultural alignment in how they operate and you operate, and then you can go and f focus on where there's strong intrinsic value 
there's natural alignments and then you're working with people to help them instead of pushing people to buy from you. So if you want to take stress off your life as a salesperson, work like hell to build really strong pipeline. It actually yeah. then makes selling fun in, instead of, you know, filled with pressure. Yeah, fantastic. And I just want to um, focus on on something you just said. You said if, if they say no, do we um, handle that objection and truly try to understand what that no looks like? Or is it a matter of just saying, okay, I've heard no, see you later? Uh, it's got to be a valid no. Okay. But but we but we need to nuance the way we engage. So I'll keep this short because it's a topic in its own right. Yeah. Um, I I actually believe that most objections are the result of the seller being amateurish in how they're seeking to sell. Yeah. So in other words, you normally get an objection or pushback because you seek progression before the person's ready. Yeah. So so for example, if I was a recruitment consultant. And the most common objection recruitment consultants get is this. Hey, Tony, look, if if I had a coffee with every recruiter that calls me up trying to friend me for me to tell them about my hiring plans in the next 12 months, I'd never get my job done. <laughs> um, I, I've got a couple of recruiters I work with. You've either got a real candidate or you don't. If you do send me their CV, but mate, otherwise I'm just not interested. I, I don't have time to meet you know, with the horde of recruiters that keep bombarding me every week. Yeah. Right. So, so the excuse or objections, I don't have time. What I say to recruiters is, is if you execute well, you make that excuse the reason. So if you phone up and say, Hey, Tony, um, uh, I know you're busy, but 20 minutes with me will save you 10 hours and dramatically de-risk the recruiting process. When can we get 20 minutes next week? Now, you need a bit more of a preamble before you get yeah. to that punchline, right? Yeah. But but what you're doing is is you're acknowledging they're busy and saying that's the reason we need to meet because the subtext is if they go, well, yeah, that's a, that's a very grand thing to say. You know, how do you justify that? You say, well, it's really simple. Most recruiters will screen candidates out based on skills, qualifications, and experience. Any numbskull can do that. Yeah. Where all of the risk is for you in having your time wasted and in hiring the wrong person, all of that risk comes from people being put in front of you that are not a cultural fit. Yep. And often, often people don't figure that out until after they're hired. You give me 20 minutes so I can understand how you define and build and and manage with the culture in your own group, not on the website of the company, but you as an individual person, I'll be able to screen out people that are risk and time wasters for you. When can we get 20 minutes together next week? So you make the excuse the reason. Yep. And every, every seller will have their own common excuses or objections that they hear. They need to make that the reason. But the reality is not everyone is a prospect, and that's okay. That's absolutely okay. You're looking for fit in the marketplace, and that means you need to know what a dream ideal customer looks like. You need to know the buyer personas within those organizations, and you need to know what what a great prospect typically thinks, feels, and believes about their world as it relates to what you do for there to be really strong alignment. Finding alignment is is much smarter than trying to be an evangelist. Oh, there's so much value there. Um, persona, making sure you know who your prospect is, and then having the right message and narrative to demonstrate value and get in front of them. So I really, really appreciate what you've shared there. Um, now, you, you've answered my earlier question, which was, uh, what would you do if you were to go back in time? Um, but is there anything else that if you had the opportunity to start again, would, is there anything else you would have done, you would, you would have done differently? Um, look, I, I worked hard. I read 
and listened to everything I could. Um, you know, I just think you, you, you need a strong level of belief in, in, in what you're doing and you need to understand that the reason salespeople are successful today isn't because of what it is that they're selling because in the mind of most buyers, there's, there's a bunch of suppliers in the marketplace that look pretty much the same in their mind. Yep. Our, our, our unique points of difference that we bang on about often don't mean very much at all to buyers. What all the research says from buyers is the big thing that swings them is the way that that seller or sales organization engaged with them. They, they tend to want to buy from the mm. one that they think best understands their organization and is able to best manage the risk in them implementing whatever it is. So the way we sell yep. is more important than what we sell when it comes to sales success. Fantastic. So having being prepared and really doing your research prior to engagement is, is pretty important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, what's one action sales professionals can do immediately which will help improve their performance and increase their sales revenue? Oh, so a few things. So, uh, so you got to go build pipeline, and that's not and that's not instant revenue tomorrow, yeah. but it is the outcome of building qualified pipe. Um, if, if you're building strong qualified pipeline in your organisation, uh, it's highly unlikely you'll get fired. Yep. Um, so every day, at least an hour or two, building quality pipeline. The other thing that can create uh, really rapid results is when you have a look at your qualified deals that you're working, yep. f- focus on understanding your customers' um, buying process. So do you yep. really understand their evaluation, selection, and procurement process? Sit down with your customer and say, hey, if we were to do business together, when does it need to be delivered in and working with you realizing the sort of business benefits that 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 you're seeking in doing this, like when does that need to happen? Oh, why do you need to know? Well, I just want to make sure that I've got the resources on our side lined up for when you need them. So yeah. I just want to really understand your timing and process to make sure that my organization's aligned with yours. Now, the buyer will think, wow, finally, mm. I'm dealing with a professional here who's acting yeah. like a project manager rather than a, a sales rep trying to get their purchase order. Mm. So so go and understand the customer's evaluation, selection, procurement process and timing when it all needs to be in working for them and then work backwards. And what that'll do is you'll uncover deal risk, you'll get accuracy into your forecast, and the, part, and the, the customer will start to see you as a partner. Wow, there's so much value there. So, Tony, we've come to the end, but uh, before we go, can you maybe tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can and 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 uh, learn more about who you are? Yeah, so uh, if if you're looking for my books, uh, go to tonyhughes.com.au. Luigi will put it in the in the podcast notes. Yeah. Uh, and my books are on there. Uh, so the Joshua Principle was the first book about managing the complex sale. My more recent book is actually published by the American Management uh, Association and HarperCollins. Uh, it's called Combo Prospecting. You can find it on Amazon, uh, also in airport bookshops at the moment. <clears throat> yep. um, if you buy on Amazon, make sure that you're logged into Amazon as Australia is your region. <laughs> Otherwise, it'll say it won't ship to Australia, but you can definitely get them shipped to Australia. So that's where you can get the books. Um, you can uh, see my blog inside LinkedIn and on my rsvpselling.com website. So there's tonyhughes.com.au 
and then rsvpselling.com. That's my sales methodology website and then inside LinkedIn. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Tony. One word, awesome. The best word to describe Tony Hughes. So what did we learn from that session today? We learned that a guy who's mastered his craft, not just in one country or one continent, but across multiple continents. How did he do it? Is he different to you and me? No. He got up one day and said, I'm going to make a difference. I'm actually going to do something that's going to make me a better sales professional. Not just a sales professional, but a better business person. This is a man that's amassed over 300,000 people on LinkedIn that follow his, his blogs every single day. And he started with one blog. Remember, training, podcasts, anything you do without application is simply entertainment. So just like I say every week, my challenge to you is what are you going to take away? What are you going to do immediately to make that change? Do you want to do something different so that you can get a different outcome? Do you want to engage with your prospects further? Do you want to be the best sales professional you can be? And if so, do something different tomorrow. Get up and try one of these things that Tony said. Go buy his book, Combo Prospecting, and make a combination so that you can be the best person you can be.